I appreciate your listening to me. Uh, my name is uh, here is Moon, and uh, I've been um, a member in, of the temple for a long time, but uh, not recently. So it goes. My time goes back to, I think, the second location that Samusunim had in Toronto, on Green Street. I don't think the old house exists anymore. It was a tiny house and uh, then was here when this became a more permanent site. Um, my normal name is Dieter Misgeld, and I'm a retired academic. I taught philosophy, as you will hear, in the university. Um, my connection with um, the one I mentioned, there is another, early on, many, years ago, in Germany, my country of origin, I and my oldest friend there, who is a therapist, psychotherapist, <laughs> uh, we came across a German psychologist, uh, Karlfried Durkheim, in a book called Hara, the Earth Center um, of Human Beings. And, it, this, and he spoke of Zen. He did not speak of Zen Buddhism at all, just Zen and at a time when this was not fashionable. Now you find Zen on perfume bottles and so on. But this doesn't, that did not exist at that time. It was quite unknown. There was also another book, which some of you may have seen, by a German philosopher, Eugen Hedegel, which was called Zen in the Art of Archery. And uh, those were the, about the first things, I think, that appeared on Zen from one French text in Europe. And uh, it struck, it actually, the man, uh, this uh, psychologist, worked in the Black Forest. Black Forest is also the famous through, in southwest Germany, through a, one of the best known European philosophers, Martin Heidegger, whom I had the opportunity to know in my youth, and I studied with one of his students. Heidegger is famous especially for his book Being and Time, which in, was initiated a wave of existentialist and uh, philosophy in Western Europe. And there is a central concept in Being and Time, which is the concept of care. And in German it's called Sorge, or uh, um, in, um, which is um, different from care. It actually means to be preoccupied beyond, not, not just looking after things or oneself, it means to be preoccupied with oneself, one's own well-being, and so on. And uh, one of the first criticisms of this book came from a great Jewish philosopher, Martin uh, Buber, who had to leave because of Nazism, who said, well, this is quite wonderful, but the one thing that Heidegger does not talk about is being with others. What is care? when it is care for others. Mm. This was not a central topic. And the whole wave of existentialism in Western Europe was incredibly individualist, in large extent, I think, in response to the two world wars and, and the desperation that people experienced of not being actually to live together peacefully, which I think is the background to all this. Mm. And um, so care, and this uh, was, uh, there is Durkheim who wrote about the Earth Center of Human Beings, that is a Japanese uh, 
uh, Zen traditions, following them. And then there is Heidegger, and then there is, and now the, it, this is taken up by a uh, scholar of Buddhism whom some of you may have read, Steve Batchelor, which I found quite interesting to read. And that's the only book, even if I have other things hidden in here, that's the only one I show you right here. After Buddhism, Rethinking the Dharma for a Secular Age. And I'm very preoccupied with this question of secularism in relation to uh, religious traditions. And I'm not saying I know how best to think about it, but I have some, some suggestions. And he speaks of care, and he refers to the Buddha, and he always refers to the Buddha as a human being, Gotama. He never speaks of him as a kind of semi-godlike figure. And he says, and he quotes this famous phrase, which many of you probably have read, which he's supposed to have uttered at the end of his life, which is, um, um, things are coming apart or things come apart, um, tread the path with care. Tread the path with care. That's he, when, uh, when the Buddha is a human being, Gautama was a, an itinerant preacher or teacher, one in, which was, it appears, a tradition in North India at that time. He would, when he would say this, it was like a warning. And my sense is, in our time, we don't need to heed this warning much more than ever. Why? Because so much is actually coming apart in ways in which I don't think anyone could have ever anticipated it. One thing that is coming apart are the old religions. Uh, if you think of uh, once very Catholic countries, such as, for example, Quebec regions, hardly anyone goes to church anymore. In Germany, they, I know that uh, a priest administer like eight parishes at one time, one priest from four to eight because they don't have enough priests. People no longer become priests. Um, the evangelical sects grow, denominations, and that is, uh, to put it mildly, a mixed blessing. I can tell you that from Colombia, a country where my partner is from, she is from South America and Colombia, uh, that the experience of growing um, um, evangelical churches, and now there are, it is said that 20% of the population of a once totally Catholic or indigenous country, indigenous religions or African religions, uh, that now these uh, 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 fundamentalist uh, denominations, often with money from North America, uh, have grown to 20% of the population have joined them. And recently, when there was a very big political decision to be made, a peace agreement between Agoria, which has been fighting uh, with the government and so on for about 50 years, a long history of internal struggle, um, uh, that they voted against the peace agreement. People, the dominations, uh, denominations had ran a campaign against a peace agreement. Mm. That's what I mean by falling, coming apart. Christianity is coming apart if it uh, opts for war instead of peace. Not unusual, Christianity has always done that. Not unusual, Islam has done that. What about Buddhism? 
you have read about Myanmar, you have read about Burma. I, I was shocked, and I, I mean our press is not very informative about this. I don't really know what it means when they say this is a Buddhist country. The Buddhists are, are pers uh, persecuting the, uh, the minority, the Rohingya, uh, very hard to pronounce, I don't really know what it is. Uh, and I remember what Samuel Suleiman said, that there is in Buddhism something like ethnic Buddhism, which is not the same as, I guess, what he thinks is a more universal kind of Buddhism. So if it's ethnic Buddhism, it's still a kind of Buddhism. And we remember the disaster, the terrible war in Sri Lanka. I've met quite a few people from Sri Lanka and uh, on the south of India. And, uh, and in Sri Lanka, it was always said that the Senegalese majority, which is a labor for an ethnic orientation or language group, that they were pursuing the Tamil, who were supposedly Hindu, and the Senegalese were supposedly Buddhists. There is, Sri Lanka is a place where Buddhist, Buddhism has existed possibly longer than many other areas. And when it disappeared in India, it stayed there. But they were murderers. Were they Buddhists? To what extent? I have no idea. But th this is what, what was said. And this stuck. And now we have major world religions, as they were once called, each of them tainted by participation in war, in murderous campaigns, in persecution. And as we know, if I remember correctly, the little I learned about Korean history uh, from Sunim once was uh, the, the, the Japanese occupation of Korea, which was in Japanese, Japan was seen as a Buddhist country. And one of the great things I think about the Korean tradition is that it was a tradition that was marginalized by content, context, um, conquest, and also by the Confucian, uh, dominant Confucian orientation that existed historically. So, where does this leave us? Let me give you another example, one that had me, haunted me for weeks. I learned uh, through my partner Amparo about a people in southern Colombia in the Amazon rainforest in a uh, gigantic region of rainforest which had not been colonized, to, to be put it clearly, that is not destroyed. It was, there, people lived there, they were, someone made contact with them. In the past that was called discovering, that is Europeans always discover those who are not Europeans. So discover, um, there are uh, people, native people, indigenous uh, Amerindian people, who wore no clothes. They were absolutely naked. They were living in the forest and the people, and once someone had learned the language talk with them, they said, the forest is everything for us, the rainforest. There is, there is food, there is shelter, there is water. We don't need the temperature, we don't need clothes. We have everything. The forest is our mother and our father. What, of course, our wonderful systems of organizing the world do is when they were told to bear clothes. They're very unhappy what happened. What happened to all of the indigenous people in, in the Americas? Most of them died. Within a short time, uh, only about 30% of their population were left alive. Not because anyone was trying to harm them, just because they were forced out of the life that they had had. And 
they, the forests, they identified completely with the forest and the region. They never wanted anything else. They said, let us live here. The question for us is, how would one do that? Not easy. So when I think of skillful means, or when I think of doing, of caring, of care for others, it also reaches into politics. What kind of thing would one do? Would you build a fence, a wall around this region and say no one can enter here? You would certainly not want mining companies to go there, which are always ready to go wherever they think there is uh, a mineral to be found. And we, of course, are the beneficiaries of these actions. Uh, so everything is connected. And it's very hard to know sometimes into exactly what to do. So I tried to feel my, I could just, I cannot tell you how sad it made me when I first read this. Because the description was, it was just these people were so happy. They probably did not live very long. They didn't even think about it. They were just, the forest was them. And they were the forest. They were beings in the forest. They didn't want anything else. Some of them then learned the language and they explained this to, to the Spanish-speaking majority. And they, and then the 20%, 30% that survived somehow find a way to, to build perhaps new communities, but in a, in a much unhappier state than they'd ever experienced before. So this is our world, things are coming apart. And often we don't know how to make sure that they don't. I'll leave you with that thought. <laughs>